0: chapter fifteen of one life one love by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain fifteen what is robert hatrell to me gilbert florestan was among the idlers who sauntered in the mall to watch youth and beauty go by on that particular afternoon when margaret hatrell made her curtsey to the queen he who was not usually a lounger in fashionable places wasted a considerable time in waiting for mrs arden's carriage for although the ladies were early the gentleman's impatience made him earlier and he had been standing about nearly an hour when the new neatly appointed landau came in view and he wasted another half-hour in loitering along with the slowly crawling line of carriages and stopping to talk to mrs arden and her daughter whenever there was an opportunity i wanted to see you both in your court plumes he said smiling at the two fair faces framed in snowy feathers and flashing gems I could not conceive the notion of Miss Hatrell in a court train. "'You should have come to Grosvenor Square for an early luncheon, and then you might have seen the train,' answered Clara. "'Oh, I can see it now, only it is transformed into a billowy background for the young lady's throat and shoulders, like the wind-blown drapery of a water-nymph riding on a nautilus shell as painters love to paint it. I assure you, Miss Hatrell, it is infinitely becoming.' You have caught the tone of St. James's Park in the days of Steele and Addison, said Mrs. Hatrell. It is the influence of the Genius Loki. I feel as if I were one of the characters in Love in a Wood. Ah, those gallant, tender, light hearted days are gone, Mrs. Hatrell, the days when love and gallantry ruled the world, when battles were won and lost for a petticoat, and when mankind lived and died for love. We are much wiser nowadays and ever so much more prosaic i am going back to my den in the champs-elysees to-morrow is there anything in this world i can do for you in paris only to follow up the inquiry you began so successfully clara answered gravely be sure i will do my uttermost but i fear the road has ended in a decided no thoroughfare and for you miss hatrell will you not entrust me with some little commission which shall be to me as a lady's glove in a knight's helmet have you no refractory shoemaker or dilatory glover on the other side of the channel whom i may harry for you no mr florestan mother and i are british enough to find all we want in london another instance of the degeneracy of the times in lady mary montague's day a man who went to paris carried a string of delicate commissions from his fair young friends the parcel post has demolished that particular branch of gallantry i shall send you a box of chocolate caramels as a reward for good behaviour if you get yourself out of the royal presence without tripping over your train good-bye he stood with his hat lifted as the carriage moved slowly on they were close to the palace gates by this time why is he going back to paris so soon i wonder speculated daisy with a piteous little look which startled her mother by the suggestion of a danger that had never occurred to her before my dear daisy he lives in paris what more natural than that he should go back why should he prefer paris to fountainhead it seems unreasonable he will settle at fountainhead by and by no doubt when he marries is he engaged to be married do you think mother i have no idea but i think if he were engaged he would have talked about his fiancee i don't know some men are so secret and reserved uncle ambrose for instance see how he went on adoring you in secret for years mr florestan may have some attachment but if he were engaged i think he would have spoken about his sweetheart what does it matter dearest he is nothing to us except a friendly neighbour no only a friendly neighbour but one wants to know all about him gilbert florestan went back to the bachelor lodgings and the bachelor life he had stayed nearly three weeks at fountainhead and he had seen a good deal of daisy and her mother both before and after their migration grosvenor square is within a little more than an hour's journey from lamford for him who will take an express train and a fast hansom. and mr florestan had dined once and taken afternoon tea three times in the new house and had happened to meet the two ladies at three different picture galleries on three different mornings He had studied Daisy's character and disposition as if she had been one of Shakespeare's heroines, and he found her perfect as Desdemona in her meek purity, spontaneous as Juliet in her girlish transparency of mind and soul. She was all this, but she was the plighted wife of another man whom she no doubt adored. It was not because she was somewhat cold and careless in her treatment of her lover that she loved him the less, Mr. Florestan told himself they had been companions from childhood and love had become a matter of course he went back to paris where the season was still at its height although the worldlings were beginning to talk of their favorite maladies and to discuss auvergne and the pyrenees aix and the austrian Tyrol. florestan in his present humor cared very little about fashionable society he had his friends and companions in the world of literature and art and in this particular world he tried to discover the character and antecedents of duverdier the man he had met in madame quijada's salon he also made certain inquiries about madame quijada herself the ultimate result of a good deal of trouble was as follows Monsieur duverdier was not known to literature or art the painters and literary men had never heard of him but he was known as an habitue of the boulevard theatres and of some of the fastest and most furious of the restaurants he was said to be a spaniard and to have only appeared in paris within the last two years and yet this description of him seemed strangely at variance with his modes of speech which were essentially argotic and parisian albeit that his accent was not parisian he was described as an idle visionary with pretensions to be a man of science and an inventor although he had never been known to take out a patent for so much as a new kind of corkscrew he had been known also to dabble in mining speculations and had more than once been obliged to swim for his life in troubled waters of madame quijada nothing was known except that she had a beautiful daughter whom she kept as close as a nun it was supposed that there must be someone in the background someone who kept dark and who was the source of that magnificence in jewels and that luxury in hothouse flowers which contrasted so curiously with the lady's unpretending manner of life there was something in this little household of the rue saint guillaume which interested florestan although he had not the slightest disposition to fall in love with the beautiful dolores he was interested in her only as a study in human nature a leaf in the great book of humanity for personal feeling he was more moved by the gray-haired middle-aged cousin than by madame Quijada's daughter he might have been still more interested in louise Marsay could he have been present at an interview between her and leon duverdier which took place on the morning of his return to paris it was nearly a month since duverdier's urgent application for a loan and since his threat of suicide a threat which he had no doubt forgotten five minutes after it was made he walked into madame quijada's salon unannounced as usual and found louise alone busy in the arrangement of the flowers a duty which was always entrusted to her and in which she exhibited an artistic taste a heavy marechal rose dropped from her hands at the sight of duverdier and she moved towards the door without a word an expression of intense aversion upon her pale rigid face stop, stop he cried in a brutal tone you are the person i want to talk to this morning i saw my aunt and dolores get out of a fly and go into a milliner's in the rue de la paix and i came here on purpose to see you i won't stand being avoided as if i were a pestilence she stopped near the door looking at him fixedly but without uttering a word what dumb devil has got into you i have nothing to say to you she answered sternly i will have no dealings with you will hold no intercourse with you if you were dying of fever i would not give you a drink of water you are a nice young woman to live in a christian land and yet i suppose you call yourself a good catholic now listen to me you are a virago and you are a monomaniac but you have more hard common sense than your cousin or her mother and you know that i am not a man to be trifled with i must have twenty thousand francs before next saturday It is absurd for my aunt to make any difficulty about it. Old Perez is a gold mine, and she has only to put in her hand and take out as much gold as she wants. And you are despicable enough to trade upon your cousin's dishonour. There is no dishonour in the question. I consider my cousin's position as the adored, adopted daughter, let us say, of an old millionaire eminently respectable. There are duchesses in Paris who are not half so virtuous and if she is ashamed of her position it only remains for her to regularize it the old fool would marry her to-morrow if she were not too stupid and too listless to bring him to the point she hates that old man too intensely to tie herself to him for life she is weary of her existence as his slave is she let her help me to make a fortune then and she shall be my queen i only want a little capital to carry on experiments which must result in a mine of wealth yes as big as a gold mine as old perez has made for himself on the bourse and a more glorious fortune for it will bring fame with it fame of the inventor tell her that i must have the money louise or something desperate will come of her refusal to help me i have tided over a month since i asked her for a loan but i cannot go on much longer i am deeply in debt and all the most precious things in my laboratory will be seized by my creditors and that will mean utter ruin tell her she must help me tell her when you are alone with her leave that old harpy my aunt out of the discussion i know dolores will find me the money if she is left to her own inclination i will not be your intermediary i will have nothing to do with you and i only hope that dolores will be wise enough to refuse you any further help she must know that you have lied to her about your schemes and experiments your speculations and wild dreams of wealth not once but many times she must know that you have been leading an idle profligate life in the very worst company in paris while you were pretending to be a genius and an inventor and to live only for science she does not know as much about you as i do but she must know that you are false to the core she must know that you have traded upon her love for you and will go on trading upon it to the end that there is no baseness no depth of shame to which you will not stoop to further your own base ends she does not know what i know that you are as cruel as you are mean and false the livid pallor of her hollow cheeks was intensified by the hectic spot which burnt upon the cheekbone and gave an added lustre to eyes that had grown too large for the haggard face. Que diable! cried Duverdier. You are usually possessed by a dumb devil, but when you do talk, by heaven, it is a torrent. No matter, I'm not generally in need of an intermediary with a pretty woman, and I have no doubt I shall be able to come to an understanding with Dolores before long this conversation took place in the morning gilbert florestan called in the rue saint-guillaume on the following evening he found duverdier established in a fauteuil beside the sofa on which dolores was sitting looking very lovely in a flowing tea-gown of palest salmon silk which set off at once the grace of her supple figure and a pendant and bracelet of magnificent sapphires florestan had never seen her wear these gems until to-night and he guessed that they were a recent gift from her mysterious protector he pitied her all the more when he saw these new tokens of her slavery for the wearer's eyes had a look of profound sadness while the mother's cruel face was radiant with recent triumph louise marsay was not in the salon duverdier was the only visitor when florestan arrived and he had a perfect consciousness that he was not wanted by any one except madame quijada who received him with marked empressement and begged him to stop till eleven o'clock i fear my salon is the dullest in all paris she said but you must remember that we are exiles and have lived in the strictest retirement ever since we left madrid florestan protested that there was nothing he preferred to a small circle society in which conversation really meant the interchange of thoughts he talked of madrid a city in which he had spent three years of his diplomatic career and although madame quijada evaded his questions with supreme ability it was obvious to him that her knowledge of the spanish capital was the knowledge of an outsider and that she could never have occupied a good social position in that city if she ever lived in madrid she lived there as she lives in paris as an adventurer and an outcast outside the pale he told himself her refinement he believed to be the thinnest veneer laid on in later womanhood her education was of the smallest yet she contrived to discuss every subject that was mooted political social or literary with an aplomb which carried her further than the widest knowledge will carry a diffident conversationalist duverdier openly sneered at some of her observations and provoked more than one vindictive glance from those southern eyes dolores talked very little and for the most part in confidential tones only meant to reach her cousin's ear duverdier talked like a man who had seen the world of men and knew the world of books all his ideas and theories belonged to the most advanced school he looked forward to a millennium of science a millennium of socialism when the forces of nature should be the willing slaves of men and hard work the sweat of the laborer's brow should be ancient history an age when the governing powers of the world should be reduced to the lowest point when armies and navies should have become a tradition of the dark ages and the poverty and starvation of the vanished centuries should seem as mythical as the rape of proserpina or the birth of minerva he spoke with the suppressed boastfulness of a certain invention of his own which was fast approaching perfection and which would revolutionize the coal mines of france and ultimately of the world an application of electricity to the working of the mine and the carriage of the coal which would minimize labor and achieve in less than a month the results which now require a year dolores listened with admiring looks and fullest faith in the speaker madame quijada looked the disbelief and aversion which she may have feared to express in words Florestan felt that the atmosphere was charged with electricity and that the storm might burst at any moment yet he prolonged his visit till a few minutes after eleven at which hour Duverdier made no signs of departure he determined to follow up his inquiries about this mysterious family until he should come at a clearer understanding of their position and history the first point he had to discover was the identity of the unseen admirer who supplied the mother and daughter with their evidently ample means he had considerable difficulty in sifting the various accounts that were offered of the secluded beauty she had been seen in public just often enough to excite curiosity in that section of society which claims to be familiar with all the ramifications of the demi-monde and she had acquired a kind of distinction by her retired life after hearing three or four different people mentioned as the hidden creases whose purse paid for dolores Quijada's jewels and other caprices he was finally informed upon reliable authority that her protector was a certain pedro perez a spanish jew and the largest dealer in spanish-american securities upon the paris bourse he was old and eccentric of nervous temperament and strange solitary habits he was said to be lavish in his generosity to dolores and her mother but was also said to be tyrannical in his exactions insisting that the girl he admired should live like a cloistered nun and promising to reward her by a large bequest even if he did not make her his wife florestan's informant whose knowledge was derived from the spaniard's confidential clerk added that if dolores had cared to exercise her influence over the old man she might have easily brought him to the matrimonial point but she hated perez and was madly in love with a scapegrace cousin upon whom she was reputed to have squandered a good deal of money since without ostensible resources he had been able to meet his engagements on the bourse after more than one unlucky venture of duverdier florestan could learn nothing further he lived on a fourth floor in a street near the pantheon and he dabbled in experiments in chemistry and electricity but in spite of these scientific tastes he was said to be a shallow pretender who had never brought the smallest scheme to a successful result a man of schemes and dreams said florestan's informant an idle vagabond who is content to live upon women an idle vagabond who is content to live upon women musing over these words as he walked under the trees in the champs elysees on his way homeward after a night at a bohemian club in the boulevard michel florestan was suddenly reminded of the story of antoinette morel and her brother and the hundred-pound note claude morel a chemist's assistant alone in paris with an only sister whose heart was almost broken by the loss of her english lover louise marsay a woman who in every look and accent bore the tokens of a great sorrow might allowing for the effect of grief and illness be the age of antoinette morel who would now be about forty what if he had stumbled accidentally upon the very couple of whom he was in quest what if leon duverdier and louise marsay were claude morel and his sister antoinette hiding under changed names the very fact of the altered names would be significant of evil and would give rise to the darkest suspicions claude morel a proscribed communist was known to have escaped arrest and to have fled to london with his sister after the last days of the commune and it was within a year and a half after the close of the commune that robert hatrell was murdered by an unknown foreigner in a london lodging-house there was that in the countenance and manner of louise marsay which told of a more harrowing grief than an ordinary love affair which had ended in parting she had the aspect of one over whose youth there had passed some great horror a grief too terrible to be outlived or forgotten those premature grey hairs the deep lines upon the pallid forehead the sunken cheeks and haggard eyes were the lasting witness of an undying agony and her horror of duverdier had been expressed in an unmistakable manner on the night when florestan saw her start up and leave the room at his entrance he remembered her extraordinary emotion upon hearing miss hatrell's name at the opera the keen interest with which she had looked at mother and daughter he had forgotten the incident until this moment engrossed in far different thoughts but it came back to him vividly to-night and for the moment it seemed to him conclusive evidence of some past link between louise marsay and the name of hatrell yet he reflected presently the association might be of another nature than that which he imagined The fact that Duverdier was an adventurer and a student of chemistry might have no bearing upon the existence of Claude Morel, the chemist's assistant of twenty years before. The idea that Louise Marsay and Léon Duverdier were brother and sister might be utterly without foundation. At any rate, I will try to put my suspicions to the test, he said to himself. If Louise Marsay is the emotional woman I take her to be, it will be easy to shake her firmness and to see behind the veil he determined to make an early opportunity of being alone with the strange pale woman whose untold sorrow had touched him from their first meeting he was haunted all through a wakeful night with shapes of horror the phantasm picture of the murder in the shabby bloomsbury lodging the face of leon Verdier, cruel and callous in the very act of murder the face of robert hatrell which he remembered in his boyhood frank open attractive it was a mere chimera doubtless this wild fancy about leon Verdier, a nightmare dream engendered out of the small social mystery of the rue st guillaume a very common story after all common as dirt a wicked mother a beautiful girl sold like a slave in an eastern market wealth luxury infamy ennui and vexation jumbled together in two shameful lives that did well to hide their dishonour from the world's ken He had brooded too long over this commonplace domestic drama, and now he must needs try to establish a link between these three women and the murder in Denmark Street. Foolish as the fancy might be, he meant to test it to the uttermost, and for this purpose went to the chief office of the criminal police of Paris early next morning and contrived to get admitted to one of the heads of the department. To this gentleman, he recalled the circumstances of Robert Hattrell's murder. The murderer was supposed to be a Swiss, he said but that was a purely speculative idea founded upon his statement that he was a journeyman watchmaker one part at least of that statement the assertion that he was employed by a well-known firm in cornhill was proved to be false the name of antoinette which was used as a decoy to lure him to his death is the name of a girl he knew in paris the girl's brother was known to be vindictively disposed towards him although her relations with hatrell were perfectly innocent and he acted as a man of honour throughout the mention of the girl's name is to my mind a conclusive proof that claude morel was concerned in the murder if he was not the actual murderer i wonder that the attention of the french police was not called to this case and that no effort was made to find the murderer upon this side of the channel seeing the large reward that was offered by mr hatrell's widow it was too soon after the commune we had our hands over full at that time the police of this city have only one fault monsieur and that is there are not half enough of them the french police are the most highly trained body in europe yet crime stalks rampant in the capital from midnight till morning the wolves so much outnumber the sheep-dogs i own that it was an oversight on our part not to hunt down claude morel his name was in the black book of the commune for more than one petty villainy but he slipped through our fingers escaped the guns at satary and the exportations from havre had he paid the legal penalty for his offences his secret would have been safe in our hands i suppose you know that it is our rule never to divulge the antecedents of a forcat who has served his time that seems rather hard upon the non-criminal classes who may ally themselves with an ex-felon for want of a knowledge of the past which would serve as a warning i will not dispute that point but it is a part of our code of honour a criminal who is trying to recover his place in society has nothing to fear from us so long as he leads an honest life claude morel however belongs to another category for the undetected felon we have no mercy will you do what you can to ascertain if he has been in paris since seventy two asked florestan yes i will institute an inquiry but a fox of that breed is good at winding and doubling and not easy to hunt down i do not think he would set his foot in paris after being concerned in more than one row that involved rapine and bloodshed especially if he was afterwards implicated in a murder in london he would be more likely to try the new world america or australia he might keep away for a few years and then venture back emboldened by the passage of time there is a man whose character and surroundings are an enigma to me and whom i am most anxious to understand more clearly i will pay the expenses of any investigation you may take into the existence of this person who is he he calls himself leon duverdier but i have a shrewd suspicion that he is no other than claude morel i wonder whether there is any one in your force who remembers morel and who could identify him after a lapse of years there are plenty of men who were engaged in hunting down the communists but morel was never a man of mark. i doubt if his personal appearance would be remembered by any of our men you had better leave the matter in my hands for a few days and i will see what can be done you can get me the details of this london murder and a report of the inquest i suppose yes i have the newspapers with their report of the inquest and the inquiry before the magistrate i will get all the particulars copied and send you the copy the parisian police ought not to lose the chance of such a bonus as a thousand pounds on the following morning gilbert florestan was early on foot sauntering in the neighbourhood of the flower market near the boulevard st michel he had heard madame quijada say that her niece went every morning to the flower market to make her own selections for the daily supply and he relied upon meeting her there he was not disappointed she made her appearance between eight and nine o'clock very plainly dressed in a black merino gown and a black straw bonnet and carrying a light basket on her arm He waited about while she made her purchases, and when she had filled her basket and was walking along the quay in a homeward direction, he followed her and addressed her. "'Good morning, Mademoiselle Marseille. I hope you are not in a hurry this morning,' he said, walking by her side. She looked round at him with an apprehensive air and quickened her pace. "'I have always a great deal to do of a morning,' she answered quickly. "'Yes, I am rather in a hurry.' "'Not so much as to deny me ten minutes' private conversation, I hope.' he said there is something about which i want to talk to you most particularly something which dates from the evening we met at the opera when you saw robert hatrell's widow in the stalls her pale face flushed for a moment or so and then grew paler than before he had no doubt of the emotion caused by the mere sound of the murdered man's name his intention had been to ask her to walk as far as the luxembourg gardens with him so that he might have leisure and quiet for serious conversation but he saw such avoidance and apprehension in her manner that he deemed it wiser to come to the point at once there were not many people upon the quay at this hour and he came to a standstill near a display of shabby second-hand literature and stood there quietly expectant while louise mercais dropped her basket of flowers and leaned against the stone parapet pallid and trembling almost as if she were on the point of fainting his name moves you now as it moved you then he said earnestly laying his hand upon her arm as it hung by her side while she leaned with the other elbow upon the stone slab i am assured that you could throw a new light upon his cruel death that it is in your power to bring about the discovery of his murderer i don't know what you are talking about she said who is robert hattrell and what is robert hatrell to me she pronounced the name with difficulty but she pronounced it more correctly than a frenchwoman would have pronounced an english name unheard before robert hatrell is a man who was lured to his death by a woman's name and that name was yours said florestan with conviction holding her arm in his strong grasp looking straight into her eyes which tried in vain to evade the direct gaze but for his regard for you his fidelity to a tender memory he would never have been tempted into the house where he was slaughtered that house was a guet-apens and you were the assassin's lure and if that assassin was your brother it is not the less your duty to denounce him so cold-blooded a murderer deserves no mercy even from his nearest of kin i don't know what you are talking about she repeated doggedly with trembling lips oh but you do you do every line in your face acknowledges what your lips deny you think it is a sister's duty to shield a brother to be dumb or to lie in his defence even when that brother is little better than a beast of prey you shrink from him with undisguised loathing you will not stay in the same room with him yet you allow your cousin to waste her love upon him and you do not warn her that the man with whom she associates in confiding affection has the heart of a tiger and would stop at no crime that would serve his own interest you know what he is and you know by the light of the past what may be expected of him in the future do you think that the denmark street murderer is a man to stop at his first crime or at his second given such a nature as that and the occasion will give birth to the crime you talk in riddles in riddles she said helplessly looking from side to side like a wild animal at bay you refuse to trust me you deny that your real name is antoinette Morel and that you are the sister of claude morel the communist my name is louise marsay very well remember i have warned you in claude morel's first crime you were only the decoy who knows in his second you may be the victim end of chapter fifteen